self-control. Do you have it? Do you have it? And if you do have it, how much of it do you have? Have you a little or have you a lot of self-control? And, and just as another question, why is self-control so important? Why is it, why is it worth having? Well, in a few moments, we're going we're gonna to look at this crucial quality. And as we do that, we're going we're gonna to think about four things. We're going to think about salvation. We're going to think about holiness. We're going to think about prayer. And we're going to think about the devil. Uh, and those are not four words or things that you necessarily associate with self-control, but hopefully all will become clear. If you have a Bible, would you please turn to uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, or if you have it on a device. And, and just for anyone who's visiting, or for all the kids who are in with us, and it's great to have you with us this week, th this is our third look at the seven things every Christian is to add to their faith. At the beginning of Peter's second letter, in verse 3, have a look at it with me if you've got a copy of God's Word in front of you. Peter tells us that God's divine power has given all of us everything we need for life and for godliness. You, if you are a Christian here this morning, have everything you need to live a godly life to the full. There's, that's without exception, according to God's Word. Nobody can say, I don't have what it takes to live this life because God's word is clear that every Christian, because of God's divine power, has received all they need to live a life of godliness. But then Peter goes on to say, and those of you who've been following this will know, Peter then goes on to say that in light of that truth that you've got everything, in light of that fact, in light of that reality, you and I are to make every effort to add seven things to our faith. Here's the seven things on the screen. Goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. Now, this is something we've been kind of saying and stressing every single week so far. We must remember we are to add these to our faith. We are to add these to our faith must be in place first. And faith is, if you look up at verse 1 of 2 Peter chapter 1, you see that faith is a God-given gift. Faith is a God-given gift. We are Christians, and we can only be Christians because of what God has done and because of what God has given to us. We don't do anything. We can't do anything to gain faith, to obtain faith. God has done it all. Something already Nathaniel has drawn attention to, that in and of ourselves, we're beat. But God has done it all. God has given us this gift. It's a God-given gift. It needs to be in place first before we then move on to these add-ons. And so we don't do these seven things, none of them. We don't do them to become a Christian. We don't do them in order to obtain faith. No, faith is already in place in the lives of those Peter is writing to and in the lives of many people here. But then Peter says, right, in light of that, faith's in place, it's a God-given gift, now you have to add certain things. If you're going to grow as a Christian, if you're going to grow in godliness, then you do need to do something. You have a part to play. Some assembly is required, and so he says you need to make every effort 
You need to get involved. You need to roll up your sleeves. You need to get stuck into this. And two weeks ago, we looked at the first two things on that list. And so we said, right, make every effort to add goodness, which is being good like God. In other words, this is about making every effort to become godly, to have a God-like character. But it's not just about being good, as we said, it's also about doing good. Being good and doing good. And we suggested three ways to make every effort to be good and to do good, and here they are. We are to become better worshipers. In other words, we increasingly declare the goodness of God as we've been doing this morning, and we hope that that rubs off on us. Secondly, we keep in step with the Spirit. Remember, the Spirit grows His fruit in our lives, and one of the segments of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is goodness. So we keep in step with the Spirit who grows this in our lives, goodness. And then thirdly, we find a model. You find someone who is good, and you just follow their example. Find someone who's good and just follow their example. So the first thing, you have to make every effort to add goodness, which is about being good, having a God-like character, and it's also about doing good. Then we talked about adding knowledge, and we said, listen, it's not about what you know. It's about who you know. It's about knowing God. It's about knowing Jesus better and better. And we suggested four ways you get to know God and Jesus better. Here they are. We read Scripture because God reveals Himself to us through His Word. And so as you read Scripture, you get to know God better. Secondly, you worship and you pray. You declare who God is. You talk to God. You develop your relationship with God in prayer and therefore get to know Him better. Thirdly, you look around at creation because creation declares who God is, reveals who God is. The skies proclaim. The heavens declare His goodness. And then fourthly, community. We can learn more and more about God from one another. We can learn so much more about God from one another. Let me, yeah, so that's, that's how we make every effort to add knowledge, not about what we know, but who you know. But let me, let me just make one further comment that I didn't make two weeks ago about knowledge and about Peter, who actually tells us to add this. Peter was a fisherman. Many of you know that. And therefore, in the eyes of most of the people around him, they didn't think he knew a lot. Or they certainly didn't think he knew as much as everyone else did. But on one occasion, Peter and John, and John was another fisherman, they came up against a bunch of highly educated individuals. These were men who devoted their lives to study. They were big-time scholars. They knew a lot. They were called the Sanhedrin. And one day, Peter and John took them by surprise because of their courage and because of the way that they engaged with them. Here's what Luke tells us in Acts about this encounter. He says this, when they, that is the Sanhedrin, that's these highly educated individuals, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, says they were astonished. You see, Peter and John didn't know as much as these men knew, but they knew someone. And because they knew someone, it changed everything. So listen to the way this verse finishes, because this is fascinating. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were on school ordinary they were in, astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You see, Peter and John stood up and stood their ground because of knowledge. But it wasn't just because of what they knew, it was because of who they knew. They knew Jesus. They knew Jesus intimately. They knew Jesus completely completely. 
And therefore, these, they took these men by surprise because of the knowledge they had of who they knew. And so one of my encouragements to you over this summer is get to know Jesus better over the summer. That's what it means to make every effort to add knowledge to your faith. It's about getting to know God, getting to know Jesus better. Okay, so let's move on to this third thing we're to add, self-control. I know kids on your worksheets, there's a wee diagram there, and the third thing up is this uh, thing of self-control. Now, the, one something just to remember as we, we begin this, we, we don't kind of wait until the first two qualities are in place before we move on to self-control. You know, we don't wait until we've got goodness and knowledge sorted before we move on to the third one and fourth one and all. They're interrelated. They overlap. They're all together. So we we make every effort to add these as we journey along and grow in godliness. So self-control, what is it? What exactly is self-control? Well, I actually think most of us probably know. It's the need, isn't it, to get a grip? It's the need to keep in check certain tendencies, certain inclinations, certain habits. Someone has described self-control as the elegance of restraint. Love that definition. The elegance of restraint. So for example, it is the need to resist the marshmallow for now. It is the need to resist yet another chocolate or another drink. It's the need to put a tight rein on our tongues before we speak too soon and blurt certain things out. It's the need to shut the computer down before it's too late. It's the need to close that particular tab on your browser. It's the need to hold back. It's the need to stop. It's the need to turn off. It's the need to step away. It's the need to tame your desires before you're in too deep. It's the need to say no at times. All of those kind of things are involved in self-control. And I'm sure we can think of other similar examples, but you know, biblically, self-control is about more. It is about holding back. It is about getting a grip. It is about not going down certain paths and roads. But it's about so much more. Biblically, self-control is about how we think. Not only about how we think, but then how we act. And so self-control's a mindset. It has to do with our minds. It's being aware of what is going on and then having the wisdom to act in light of what is going on. Let me explain. For those who have been following our recent series in 1 Peter, you may have noticed or you might have picked up that Peter actually in his first letter talks about self-control a lot. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before. I'm not sure I really have, if I'm honest. But Peter talks about self-control a lot in his first letter. But every time he talks about it, he associates it, he pairs it with some state of mind. So, for example, he connects it to being alert. He connects it with having minds that are prepared for action. In other words, to be self-controlled as far as Peter is concerned, you need a clear head. You need to be attentive. You need to be on the ball. You need to be focused. Three times in his first letter, Peter connects a state of mind with being self-controlled. Three times. And I want to revisit very quickly this morning all three occasions. 
I want to look at the three situations where Peter says, you know something, you need self-control in these situations. So as we turn to those three, we're going to hopefully learn something about that quality and why we must add it to our faith. So if you have a Bible, you want to go to 1 Peter chapter 1. It's going to be on the screen anyway. Here's the first mention of it. It's different in different translations, but here, here's what it says. Therefore, prepare your minds for action be self-controlled. Set your hope on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, and this is a staggering comment. We've drawn attention to it before. It is written, we are to be holy just as God is holy. Now, the therefore at the beginning of that is really, really important. And we, we know this. Whenever you come across a therefore in God's word, you've got to go, well, well what's been, what has been said before? Well, the therefore at the beginning of verse 13 hooks us back to the previous verses where Peter has been talking about the amazing salvation that has come to us from God. He's been talking about the salvation of our souls. He's been t- going on about that for a number of verses, that this is an incredible thing that you have received. And then he turns around and says, therefore, be self-controlled. Which at one level you might think, well, that's, that seems a bit odd. Surely if something so incredible has happened that God has given us his great salvation, surely we should be losing control, so to speak. We should at the very least be bouncing from pillar to post, telling everyone and anyone, Peter says no, be self-controlled. Why does Peter say be self-controlled in light of this incredible salvation we have been given? Well, you see, Peter knows that one unguarded moment, one rash decision, one situation where you lack self-control and you can potentially undermine and destabilize your salvation. And many of us have seen this happen. Many of us have seen this happen. When someone has received the gift of faith, this God-given gift, they've started out on a journey of following Jesus, but then in a moment of madness, in a situation when they've been faced with a significant choice, in the heat of a moment of intense temptation, and heading down a certain road in their thinking and or their behavior, they have shown a tragic lack of self-control, and as a result, they've lost their way. And one obvious biblical example, although I can think of a number of personal examples, but one obvious biblical example is David and the whole kind of bathing Bathsheba on the rooftop incident. One moment, one rash decision. And here Peter says, listen, we need to be self-controlled. The reason we need to be self-controlled, and he gives us a very clear purpose in this verse, the reason you need to be self-controlled, says Peter, is so that you can be holy. That's the purpose. To be holy requires self-control. If we're going to avoid conforming, Peter says here, do not conform to the way you used to live. See, if you're going to avoid conforming to the way you used to live, you're going to need self-control. We know that. There's no doubt about that. If we are going to be holy, not just holy full stop, Peter says if we are going to be holy in all we do, in every single thing we do, every choice we make, every decision we take, every word we speak, every action, if we're going to be holy in all we do, we need, you and I, we know this, you need self-control. 
Because without it, we'll give in or we'll give up. And we'll make poor choices, we'll make rash decisions. And those are the things that threaten the credibility of our faith. They undermine our salvation. Self-control, guard salvation, produces God-like holiness. That's why Peter says, make every effort to add this to your faith. Otherwise, you may lose your way. The second mention of self-control comes in chapter 4 of 1 Peter. Here's what he says. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. The world as we know it is coming to an end. Can I just put that out there? Say that explicitly. Kids are in this. The world as we know it is coming to an end. I know this is not popular teaching. It's not a popular thing to say. But someday, one day, any day, God's going to call it a day. And although a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day in God's time frame, the end of all things is nearer than you think. It's nearer than it was yesterday. And in fact, it could happen today. And in Peter's two letters, he stresses this a number of times, and he wants his readers to realize this. In fact, he wants to heighten their anticipation of the day whenever this world as we know it comes to an end. And so in chapter three of his second letter, he actually says, listen, I want you to look forward to that day. In fact, I don't just want you to look forward to that day. I want you to speed its coming. But in the meantime, you need to get ready. And how do you get ready for the fact that the end of all things is near? By being clear-minded, by being self-controlled, so that we can pray. In light of the fact that the world is coming to a close, what are we to do? We're to get on our knees. And again, it seems a bit tame. As one writer has said, in the face of a storm, I don't want to storm heaven, I just want to storm about. And so we think, do we need to get busy? No, we don't need to get busy, we need to pray. And to pray well as we anticipate the sky falling and the mountains collapsing and nature's redness and tooth and claw intensifying, as you pray well in light of all that that is going to happen, you need exceptional clearness of mind and you need to be self-controlled. And that doesn't come naturally. I'll guarantee it. For me, this does not come naturally. It's the last thing we are inclined to do in face of the fact that the end of all things is near. And so to do it requires self-control. And to do it, we need to start now before, as Malachi calls it, that great and dreadful day. We need self-control. We need self-discipline if we are going to pray today. We all know that. Unless I exercise self-control, I will not pray today. Unless I set the alarm tomorrow, unless I get up at a particular time, this is how it works for me, unless I get up at a particular, I will not pray. Unless I stop, maybe this is the way it works for me, unless I stop at a particular point of the day and talk to God, unless I press pause, unless I choose to come and gather with others, to pray, I won't pray with others. That requires 
Self-control, self-discipline doesn't happen naturally by and large. And so Peter says, listen, because the end of all things is near, that's the reality. You need to be clear-minded. You need to be self-controlled. Why? So that you can pray. As Mark Buchanan writes, my favorite writer, the habit of prayer will not magically arrive for you amid the flaming debris of the apocalypse. You'll have to get it well in hand now and work it into your daily rounds. Brilliant. Love it. So the end of all things is near. We need to be self-controlled. Why? So that we are a people of prayer. And if we're going to be that, then we need to make every effort to add self-control. Peter's third and final mention of self-control comes in the last chapter of his first letter. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You know, the, the devil's on the loose and the devil's hungry. And each and every Christian is in his sights and on his menu. Just as Jesus was. You know, just after Jesus got baptized and just before Jesus confirmed why he had come, just before he went and declared the Nazareth Manifesto, I have come to proclaim good news to the poor. I've come to set the captives free, to give sight to the blind. Just after Jesus got baptized, just before he confirmed that, the devil got angry, the devil got hungry. He just wanted to chew something up, swallow it down and spit it out. And still he prowls. That's what God's word teaches us. He's now looking for friends and followers of Jesus who continue to make him angry and who continue to make him hungry. And what is called for, says Peter? You need to be self-controlled. You need to be alert. Don't give the devil a foothold. Don't give the devil a leg to stand on. Don't turn your back. Now, what does Peter actually go on to say in the verse after this? What are we to do? We're to be self-controlled. We're to be alert because the enemy's prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour us. So what are we to do? We have to resist him. Stand firm in our what? Stand firm in your faith. Your God, stand firm in it. And to stand firm in it, you are gonna need to make every effort to be self-controlled. Why do you need to be self-controlled in this instance? Because there is an enemy who's seeking to devour you. And if you don't pay attention, if you don't get a grip, if you are not clear in your thinking about the battle you're in, if you do not add self-control to your faith, then you need to be prepared for the bounce. Pounce, not bounce. That's a whole different thing. You need to be prepared for the pounce. So Peter says here, make every effort to add, yes, goodness. Make every effort to add knowledge. Not about what you know about who, but make every effort to add self-control. And here's why. Here is why. Because one, without self-control, you might take your salvation for granted and you may risk compromising your faith. To be holy requires self-control. Secondly, because without self-control, you may forget the bigger picture. You may forget that the end of all things is near. Prayer may become erratic. To stay focused and to pray, you need self-control. And thirdly, because without it, you will forget, you'll underestimate the enemy and you'll become an easy target. You need self-control if you're gonna resist 
the devil. So self-control is about holding back on the marshmallows when necessary, but it's about having a mind that is clued into what is really going on and then acting accordingly. It's about being holy. It's about praying. It's about resisting. That is self-control. Being holy, praying, resisting. And we must make every effort to add that to our God-given faith. 